Some days are terrible. You wish that you were dead, and some days are magical, like grape banana bread. Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads. The voices in our heads. Hello, everyone. Congratulations on not killing yourself. Give yourself a goddamn pat on the back. Hey. Good for you. Good for you. We're still here. You're still here. Thanks for being here. This is the voices in our heads. I'm Christina Hutchinson. Following cities. If you're in them, come see us. Portland, Oregon, April 22nd to the 25th. If you're in New York City, Justin Silver and I are bringing back We're Not Banging. We're not bringing. We're also not banging. April 28th. I haven't banged anybody in a while. We're doing two shows at The Stand. It's been well over a year. Philadelphia, April 29th through May 1st. I'm at Helium. That's a solo week. And then Kansas City. Kansas City, come out May 14th and 15th at The Improv. I know y'all don't talk like that, but I just, I'm in a mood. Oh my God. It's a Monday night. Well, it's technically Tuesday. It's 1229 a.m. I had people over and I'm not sleeping tonight because I have to get on a flight early in the morning and that one time that I slept through my flight and I missed it to Arizona I was like never again will I ever be subjected to this emotional turmoil so I just stay up (laughs) but I'm like I'm gonna go to the airport early hang out in the Delta lounge because now I got a Delta credit card and they'll let you do that and then I'm gonna get a massage I think I hope it's open but yeah, today or tonight, I had a bunch of people over because my beautiful friend Donna Guerreros turned 40 and she did a new moon circle. And so there's friends in town. One of them is Anastasia, who did the past life regressions with me. She is in town. So her and my friend Kylie, who designs all the merch, um, very talented graphic designer, they all came over and we did the new moon circle. And I was like, this is great. And Kylie's watching Kevin. So she had to take him with her when she left. And I was like, oh, you just, okay, yeah, bye, Kevin. Oh, God. And then they left, and I just cried and cried. I cried and cried. I cried, and I I did fart. I was <laughs> I was walking around my apartment crying because I was like, I miss him so much. And then I farted, and I farted so loud that I started cracking up. And I was like, well, this is confusing. Can I just pick one at a time? Can I just pick one? No. All right. So they left. And I was like, okay, I got to record my podcast. First, I got to figure out what the fuck I'm going to say on it. And then I got to record it. And then I got to pack and I got to do all this stuff. And then I was in my office and I heard pop 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 outside and I was like wouldn't that sound like gunshots and it kept going and going and I was like hmm right outside very loud it was not a car backfiring I know what that sounds like because I know how to change the brakes on a car and I know cars really well and I just wasn't and I was like was that gun was that a gun and then I ran to the window and everyone in the buildings across from me were looking out the window like what the fuck was that and I was like should I call God damn it. I've called 911 so many goddamn times. And it kept happening. And I'm like, that, I mean, that sounds like a gun. And I, I yelled across the street. I'm like, do you guys hear gunshots? Is that, do you anybody hear gunshots? Should I call or what? Is that gunshots? 
Okay, I'm gonna call 911. <laughs> and I call 911 for like the 28th billionth time. That's dramatic. And I said, you know, hey, uh, I heard what sounded like gunshots very loud. It stopped, but it was real loud. I don't know if this is an appropriate call. I don't want to waste your time, but it sounded like that. And I'm not sure. And the guy, the guy was really nice. The guy was like, hey, no, thanks for calling. I'm like, okay, cool. And then all these cop cars showed up like two seconds later. I'm talking like seven. And I had my window open and I was like, oh, man. And then 911 called me back and they're like, hey, we're here. I'm like, I know. I see you. And then one of the cops saw me in my window on the phone and they're like, did you call? And I was like, yeah, I called. Oh, I hope that was I hope that was something that needed your attention. And then they walked into my building. And. I told him the story and I was like, I swear that sounded like gunshots. And he, they were, the cops were the cops were really nice. They were like, well, did you think it's a car backfiring? I was like, I know what that sounds like, sir. And that's a big fat. No! So and so they they said the neighbors across the street thought it was coming from my building. I'm like, oh, that's some hell I don't want to be a part of. So they had to search the roof of my building and then they came down and I was like, can I go? I got to record my podcast. Um and they're like, no, stay here. I'm like, okay. And I kept feeling bad because I didn't want to wait. I, I'm like, God, I hope this is something that needed your attention because if you got the Citizen app and you live in New York, crime is up. Crime is up. It was very up. And I still feel safe in the city, but it's up. <laughs> if you got the Citizen app, don't turn your notifications on. It'll bug you. And then... They were like, okay, we got it. They think they thought they were like, oh, I think it's the manhole. And then I was like, okay, well, at least it's something, I think. And then I left because I wanted to go buy a pack of cigarettes. And and I came back and I smoked the cigarette outside because the cops were all still there. And the sound came back. And there was a lady cop on across the, the street. And I go, that's the sound. Do you hear that? And she's like, yes. And then she's like, ma'am. I wouldn't stand there if I were you. I was like, oh, shit. Do I? Oh, God. I got to run for cover. And then 10 fire trucks showed up. And I was like, well, this is a nice change pace. And then they left. And the sound is still happening. So I don't know what the fuck happened. But hopefully my if hopefully it's OK. <laughs> but I, at least I've, I've never called 911 for no reason. Good for me. I mean, that's illegal. But also it's always ended up. Usually it's somebody injured, like very obviously injured, and no one's calling 911, and everyone's just like, oh, shit. And I'm like, all right, I'll call, I guess. Always the one to call. But then when I see a trash can on fire, which I have several times, I run to it, and I go, I got this. I'll call 911. Nobody else call. Nobody else call. I'll call. Okay? I got this. Me. I'm calling. Not you. Me. And I was like, you need to send a bunch of fire trucks over here. There's a trash can on fire. I did not light it on fire, but I will stay to make sure that they put them down. Still attracted to firefighters. Still attracted to anybody. I haven't had sex in a while. <laughs> and I could. I get. I could try. But I also don't want to try. Isn't that something? I don't know. I'm in this weird limbo. But to everybody who joined my Patreon, thank you so goddamn much. The first episode is out. It's five bucks a month is the level that you get that. That's pretty good. 
It's a good episode. I mean, there's a ghost on the recording. I mean, uh, 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 it's pretty cool. And then I have two things that are scheduled. One, uh, once a month, I'm going to do a live show from my apartment. And it, one day, it might, one month, it might be a piano recital. This month, it's going to be an apartment tour. I'm going to give you a tour of my whole goddamn house. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be live. But if you can't make it live, it's going to be on April 16th. I'm uploading the video to that level of person that's subscribed. And then on April 27th at 8.30 p.m. East Coast time, I'm having my first Zoom meeting that's unlicensed therapist therapy. <laughs> and I'm running it similar to an adult children of alcoholic and dysfunctional families. Um, I've attended many of their meetings. And so it's kind of going to be run similar to that where you just get a couple minutes, depending on how many people are, are going to be there, of I'm going to time it of time to share whatever the fuck is going on with you. You know, are, are you, what are you, are you afraid? Are you terrified? Are you sad? Are you depressed? Are you, what's going on in your life? What, is there something, childhood trauma? <laughs> your girl got an honorary degree in that. You can talk about it uninterrupted. And then I have a bunch of stuff I'm going to read and then we'll have a discussion. I really, it's such a beautiful notion that Something so simple as sharing what's happening with us, one, makes us feel better, but two, to witness people share is monumental, I got to say. So that one's expense. That's an expensive level. But I did it because that's what I decided. Um, But, you know, again, if you can't, if you're like broke, just just email me. The voices in our heads podcast at gmail.com. Because I don't, I don't, I'm like, ah, I'm such an elitist fuck. But then I'm like, well, uh, this is, this is my problem, guys. This is the hamster wheel that I'm always on. All right. Can I just, French bulldogs. I really got beef with French bulldogs. I don't, I don't, I don't like them. But I always wondered, like, why? Like, why don't I like them? And it's because they can't fucking breathe. Every time I see a French bulldog on the sidewalk, I want to give it an inhaler. I'm like, do you need me to go get an oxygen tank? I'm not calling 911 on you because you're a dog, even though you deserve to be healthy all the time. But, you know, that's not, I mean, if it was a person who was choking. Yeah. But French bulldogs, they can't breathe. They don't breathe. Why? Why is we still making them? Why? They don't breathe right. And they're... I mean, also, too, a lot... The thing is, I see French bulldogs everywhere. They're everywhere. They're a very popular breed of dog. But they I'm pretty sure they can't fucking... They have to have C-sections for the baby. They don't give natural birth because their fucking body's fucked up. French bulldogs cannot breathe. Why are we still making French bulldogs? I feel like that's kind of rude. I want to give them an inhaler. And then I looked it up because I was like, well, let me get some statistics for y'all or some facts because maybe I'm just talking out of my ass and they're breathing through their mouth, but they actually, you know, can breathe and I'm just being a bitch. Well, friends, here's what I got off this website. Why do French bulldogs have a breathing problem? Well, that's a good question. Why do you tell me why? All those distinctive sniffles 
snuffles and snorts, as endearing as they may be. They're not endearing. Nothing about <laughs> is endearing. Commonly occur in both the canine and feline flat-faced breeds. The shortened snout, which was encouraged during breeding selections to create the adorable smush face. Oh, so it's just so we can go, aw? That's fucked up. Resulted in some anatomical... God, I got that word right. Good for you. Limitations. Unfortunately, as the breed's skull shrunk, the structures inside didn't follow the same path. Well, that sounds like we should go, that's a wrap on French bulldogs. Common problems of this include abnormally narrow nostrils that restrict airflow. Well, that ain't good. The soft black uh, back roof of the mouth is too long and obstructs the airway. Again, not good. A restrictive windpipe. Doesn't sound good to me. Sacks along the voice box blocking the trachea. I'd say that's a whole lot of nope. If you if you asked if I wanted all those any of those things, I'd say no thank you to all four of those things. Okay. French bulldogs didn't ask to fucking be here. Go to a goddamn rescue. <laughs> oh, I'm not dumb. And that's no I look, I'm not trying to shit on you if you have a French bulldog, because statistically probably a lot of you do. But goddamn it. All right, I'm going to read more. (laughs) Collectively, these respiratory-related problems shared by short-muzzled pets are called, I'm not even going to try, brachycephalic airway syndrome. I didn't pronounce that right, but that's okay, because I still love myself. Not every dog presents with all the above. Just So, sounds like it's a gamble, though. Sounds like it's a fucking gamble. Just like their personalities, each Frenchie's anatomy is unique. Yeah, but that's a high probability that they're going to (laughs) go... But seek to understand your pup's makeup and have an open dialogue with your veterinarian. Or just don't get one of those. Wait, how much do French bulldogs cost? How much do French bulldogs cost? I mean, you you, you better fucking get health insurance. Oh my Christ! On average, you can expect to pay between... $1,500 and $3,000. The average price is $2,200. The French Bulldog price increases even more for dogs with an exceptional breeding history. Oh, God, those poor things. And they ain't getting none of that money. You know that. Dogs can't have bank accounts. So it's just some fucking ass human going, keep fucking, honey. I'm pretty sure they have to be artificially goddamn inseminated. Prices for top quality dogs with outstanding breed lines can range from $5,500 to $10,000. Now, I will admit, when I Google this, the images that popped up were French Bulldogs, Bulldog puppies. That's, they're cute as fuck, okay? They're cute as fuck. But, mmm. I don't know. Okay, and then get this. How do you diagnose French Bulldog breathing problem? Is it a French Bulldog? Yes. Then it has a breathing problem. Particular signs coincide with that fancy Brock word I said. Uh, Let's just say BAS. Symptoms can range from mild to severe, especially if multiple problems exist. The symptoms to watch out for are both visual and auditory. Yeah, I see and hear it all the time. For an easy point of reference, consider... Known human afflictions such as snorting, gagging, coughing, snoring, apnea, labored respiration, and vomiting. 
a dog with a very noisy, raspy, and rapid respiration rate will make distinct sounds. Uh-huh. For animals with narrow nostrils, for example, it's easier to inhale through the mouth rather than the nose. In short, dogs with cute, squished faces are mouth breathers. Yeah, you might say. In addition, because French bulldogs are compact... They are more easily affected by high temperatures and problems associated with weight gain. A pet with varying degrees of BAS may collapse after exercise, gag on drool, vomit after eating, or even pass out. Ooh, cute! Who wants a doggy? Some French bulldogs have large tongues, and that can exacerbate the difficulties of a narrow airspace. I mean, guys, come on. Now look, if someone were to tell me, and they'd have to send me an article... Because I'm not just taking you at your goddamn word because this is a world full of liars. (laughs) If someone said to me, you know, dachshunds, because I know dachshunds have spine problems. Like that that's something that they do later in life that can happen. But there's things you can do to prevent it. Like don't let them go down the stairs. There's a lot of dachshunds in my neighborhood, miniature dachshunds that that are like fucking 19 years old. I'm like, woo, that guy's still kicking. Kevin, you're going to live forever and you're never going to die because Goonies never say die because I'm going to cry so hard when you do. But it's okay because we're going to die at the same time. I just know it. (laughs) That's what I say to him. And he's like, bitch, give me a treat. I'm like, okay, whatever you wish. I am spineless. But look, if someone were to email me and say, actually, dachshunds, whatever. I mean, they got a long ass snout. And no breathing problems. But if something, if it was unethical to breed them, I would go, well, shit. Didn't look that up. But the thing is with the French Bulldogs, you, you can hear them coming from a mile away. Even in New York City where there's all these sirens and there's homeless people jerking off and everyone's yelling at each other and there's horns everywhere. Just, just be a little still. And through all those horns and sirens and yelling, you'll hear, that's a goddamn French bulldog coming. And he can't breathe. So I'm not trying. If you have one, enjoy the dog. Okay. They're the only examples of unconditional love that most of us are ever shown in our entire lives is any dog. Doesn't matter if they can't breathe. So, you know, I'm not trying to guilt you. But if you're thinking about getting one, I got to say, think again. (laughs) They can't go on airplanes because they'll die because of the altitude. Wait, let me make sure that's... Can French bulldogs go on airplanes? Oh, this is a very highly looked up subject. The good news is that Frenchies are allowed to fly in the plane cabin, but they cannot fly in the cargo. Well, yeah, no shit. Due to health reasons, French bulldogs and many other, that fancy B word, have been banned from flying in the cargo area. I mean, yeah. Whatever. Fucking Corinne told me one time that this lady's French bulldog died on a plane because it couldn't breathe. And I was like, well, let's not get French bulldogs. Anyway, it's nothing but love to the French bulldogs out there that currently exist. I'm just saying, maybe take a second to think before you're like, I want to get a dog. What kind? I got Amber as a Frenchie and I want a Frenchie. Um, I want to get one. They're so cute. Uh-huh. And they're spunky and they breathe heavy because they can't breathe right. You bitch. You bitch. I had coffee very late because I'm going to stay up all night. And then I have to get off the plane tomorrow <laughs> to Tennessee and do a photo shoot, which I'm excited about this photographer that Corinne had worked with before 
And I'm like, oh, I'm going to look like shit in that photo shoot. But hey, that's what editing's for. Post-production. It's a girl's best friend. You know what's a girl's not best friend? Fuck boys. Guys, let's do some fuckboy theater. Okay. This is a nice little long conversation between a girl and a fuckboy named Andrew. Yeah, I said his name. Andrew. Suck my dick, Andrew. Suck my dick, Andrew. Andrew, suck my dick. Oh, oh I'll tell you in a second. Um, okay, ready? This is uh, between Andrew and uh, a woman. Oh, and it, it, one of the things she said on her dating app. Oh, wait, no, this is a different conversation. Never mind. You don't need any backstory. All you need to do is uh, listen. <clears throat> hey, looked up Snow- look up Snowden and let me know your thoughts. I could not care less about what Edward Snowden does these days. LOL. So it won't make you upset if I distract you during the viewing? Of what? Of the movie. What movie? The Snowden movie? Exactly. Mmm, not interested. And then he sends a screenshot of the IMDb page of the Snowden movie, starring Joseph Gordon-Lovett. Who's a babe? And not a fuckboy, hopefully. I don't know him, so I can't say that. But boy, I hope he's not. So he sends a screenshot of the IMDb page of the Edward Snowden movie. That made me less interested. Okay. And then she doesn't respond. And then the next day he says, how about this? And he sends a picture of a bottle of wine. It's red truck wine. Cabernet Sauvignon. Even less. Won the blind taste test competition at Ray's liquor store. And then she doesn't reply to that because why would you? And then two days later, he says, if all you want to do is sit on my tongue, then I guess that's fine. But I do think it's fair to ask for one hour to hang slash chill in exchange. Bruh. A lot of H's. Why are you trying so hard? Just having fun, yo. You prefer I just text you, quote, want to chill? Question mark. It's just funny how persistent you are. <laughs> yeah, funny is a word for it. It's just funny how you can't take the compliment. I mean, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't sense, where was the compliment? Was he a French bulldog? Is the oxygen cut off to his goddamn brain? I'm just not super interested. I don't think a man asking me to come over and sit on his face is much of a compliment. Do you? I do. <laughs> okay. But I'd also say try and separate the forest from the trees. What the fuck? <laughs> Meaning what? That's just a funny little thing, LOL. Oh my god, that makes sense. It just seems like you changed your mind since last time we spoke, which if I knew then, I wouldn't be so, quote, persistent, end quote, because I also don't like being that creepy guy who doesn't take a hint. Houston, hard reality, you are. Over. I may be interested if you asked in any other way than the way you did just now. I honestly don't know about that. Because I have before. I have hung out with you a single time. Agreed. Fact. And I thought we both thought it was a good time. 
It was. Now it seems like you're changing your opinion. Houston, women are allowed to do that. All humans are. Over. Okay, see my dilemma? And then she doesn't respond to that. And then two days later, he says, hey, it's me, persistent guy. And then she doesn't respond to that. And then the next day he says, want to smoke? And scene. Scene. That was it. That was Fuckboy Theater. Guys, thank you. I did get a BFA. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) Last night, I've been doing stand-up a lot lately, which is good, but it's made... I get in these phases and I haven't gotten there in a while because I, you know, COVID. So I'm not doing as many gigs. But <laughs> I just get in these phases where I'm like, I hate all my material. If I do them too much, I'm like, I hate it. I don't like it. Which is good because then that lights a fire under your ass to, you know, write more shit. But I was like, ugh, I don't like my material. And I had two spots last night. Uh, I had to cancel one because I did a photo shoot yesterday to um, assemble a deck, which is like a like a pitch document for my next short film. It's a horror movie, and we were shooting pictures for it. And honest to God, I was getting so goddamn freaked out, and I was in the pictures. And I was like, this is very scary. I don't want to see the frame anymore. <laughs> I don't want to give I don't want to give too much away, but um there's an ending scene in the short film that I'm doing. That's it's a lot. It's like a 10 minute flick. Um, and it's, I'm not going to give it away, but it's fucking freaky. And for one of the pictures, I wanted to get this specific shot. We went to an empty unit apartment unit in my building and I have these lot, like I have a, I have the magical loft in my apartment and a lot of the units in my building, the layout is completely different, but a lot of them have this similar storage type loft. And we found a unit right above me that had a, very creepy looking loft like it was just something about it was weird and so i i was wearing this child's not child's nightgown it was for an adult but it looks like like a little you know in um hocus pocus at the very beginning where they show the origin story of the cat and it's this little girl in a white gown and she's like zachary binks zachary binks where are you and then the witches are luring her in and then they kill her or whatever i don't know if they kill her but and then Zachary Binks, her brother, turns into a cat. Anyway, it's that little girl that's similar. That was the vibe. That was my inspiration. <laughs> um, and I was wearing it, and I, was, I crawled into the back of this loft. It was really dark. Oh, and I was crawling like a horror movie crawl. And the person, the guy, Ben, taking the photos, because he's going to be the DP, was like, oh, my God, this is scary. And I was like, I feel scared, but I'm in the photo. Because I always wondered if people making scary movies got scared. I can't watch scary movies. I have to be with a friend. I can't do it because I get so goddamn sucked in. And I'm like, I'm going to die. But I've been watching some scary things at a friend's house lately um, because I, you know, I want to understand the genre more if I'm going to make a movie, you know, that is of the genre. And I'm just scaring my goddamn self. Okay, so there's this fucking show on the History Channel. (laughs) called the unexplained but there's no e and the x is capitalized it's on a history channel and it's about just like weird shit that we don't we're like huh because i was searching for severe weather shows or documentaries because i don't know why but i'm like obsessed with weather like crazy weather tornadoes are one of my biggest fears i grew up around them i've seen them 
but I'm fascinated by tornadoes. They're the most, I mean, not majestic because they kill people but and they destroy towns. But like, I am in awe of tornadoes. And so I was searching on Hulu for weather and the show came up, an episode of the show, The Unexplained with no E, capital X, on the History Channel. It is hosted by William Shatner, who did, he didn't do Unsolved Mysteries. What the fuck did he do? Wait, William Shatner, TV host, shows. What the fuck did he, what the fuck did he? Rescue 911. That was it. Rescue 911. I fucking loved that show. So I was like, Cause is 911 going to get there in time? The guy's having a heart attack. How are you filming it? I think they did reenactments. But I loved Rescue 911 when I was a kid. And so I was like, oh, William Shatner's hosting. Boo-boos. He's been smoking. He's been smoking so many goddamn cigarettes because he's like, oh, William Shatner. Like, not, I'm exaggerating, but... He he been William been chain smoking. So he's the host of the show and you could tell he's reading off a teleprompter, which is, you know, what you do. But he's he's given it all his fucking energy trying to make the story sound the most dramatic. I first watched the episode on extreme weather, unexplained weather. And then I was like, well, I need to keep watching this. And there's all kinds of different categories of stuff. Did you know that they found plankton on one of the solar satellites? Plankton on a, in space. That's a living thing in space. And I'm like, qua? Wait, can you, wait, go back. You found plankton? The fuck? Is that supposed to be there? Well, it is there, so what does that mean? There's life in space. But he's reading it off the teleprompter, and then and he's trying to make it sound the most dramatic and upsetting with his brevity. But at the end, he starts slowly improvising, like just a little bit, slowly and quietly to himself while he like you watch him ponder his own reaction to like the weather. <laughs> and he's like, that's not good. <laughs> like it's just, He's making commentary after he finishes the teleprompter lines. And it's so fucking funny. But one of the things I learned uh, on the weather episode, I was very interested in it. Um, one of the meteorologists on this particular episode sounded exactly like Jeff Foxworthy. Who is this, he was the first ever stand-up comedian that I'd ever heard of, him and Lily Tomlin. But Jeff Foxworthy, my parents loved, because we lived in the South, and he had those famous jokes, you might be a redneck. If you look, go take a number two on the toilet, and right after you say, hey, honey, come look at this, you might be a redneck. I remember that's verbatim his joke, because I listened to it on a cassette tape. And it made my parents laugh, and I was like, it makes mommy happy. I need to, I need to play this all the time. I love when my parents laugh. I still do. I haven't talked to them in a while, but I miss them. But so it goes. But yeah, this one meteorologist was like, yeah, and then tornado came around. I'm like, ah, I can't take you seriously. And they talked about this thing called blood rain. Where there's like shit in the rain and it looks like blood, like it looks like it's raining blood, but it's not blood, but it's like something in there. And I was like, well, that's not good. And then he was telling people how <laughs> tornadoes are getting stronger global warming they're getting like five percent stronger over the last 10 years they've gotten really strong and very frequent and i was like well that's some shit huh can we stop with the plastic i mean what can we do that's the other thing i hate all these documentaries about 
microplastics in the ocean and you feel like you want to die just watching these fish get cut open they're just got fucking legos in them and you're like this makes me sad on a level that i don't think i'm ready for but when someone presents me a problem my immediate reaction is how can we help okay uh, reusable grocery bags cool no plastic straws, cool. Recycle, cool. Even though a lot of the shit you recycle doesn't really get recycled. <laughs> Watch a John Oliver episode on that. It's sad. But I'm like, guys, you can't just tell me all this sad shit and not give me things to do about it. Just get, tell me what to do. I, You know what needs to happen? We need a kid to make, to invent a method that takes plastic out of the ocean, that makes money because then people want to do it. Because the world is getting filled. Like, you can't you can't just evaporate the plastic because that's not how plastic works. We got to stop making plastic. You know, I know people are like, oh, I can't drink out of a straw. These, these paper straws are like liquid. Yes, they are. Then take your hand, pick up the cup, and lift the cup up to your mouth and drink it. I mean, goddamn, we really don't like working at all. Cause I think we're too busy with the social media and getting getting fake, fake um, dopamine. Well, it's not fake. I mean, it's dopamine, but it's not like the good kind where you're like actually socializing and having intellectual, stimulating conversations. It's the kind where you get likes for posting a picture of your butt after you've lost a lot of followers from it. It's like okay, our immediate gratification mechanism in our brain has been fucked in the face for the last 10 years and it just keeps getting fucked and man that hole's gonna wear out that hole's gonna wear out and we're not gonna be able to hold it in our poop anymore in our mouths <laughs> uh here's another thing i noticed every commercial that i've seen lately pretty much every commercial they all have interracial couples which but it's to the point where it seems like, all right, you just, they're ba- the company's basically going, we have one of each. We have one of each in a way that just seems, eh. And one of each, no, because it's a couple, so there's only two people. There's more than two races. But you, when it's an interracial couple, you only ever see black and white. Never Asian and white. Because then if it's a white guy and an Asian girl, you're like, oh, that guy's a fucking perv, you know, fetishizing. And it, but you ne- on a commercial, I've never seen an interracial couple that wasn't black and white. And it just feels, I mean, hey, I'm glad it's not all whiteies. Can we just ban white people from commercials, honestly? <laughs> I don't need to, I don't need, I don't need to see me in the commercials. Too much white. Whiteness is not, eh, it's a bunch of, okay? White people need to take a goddamn time out and think about stuff and listen but every time I see it, I'm like, God damn. It just, I mean, I know there's a lot of interracial couples. But like, it just, it feels like, see, we're good people. It's like when the when they rolled out, when COVID happened, and, now, and then every commercial was like, we're all in this together. And they're just trying to take advantage of, you know, the terror we all feel and the uncertainty. Some of them did a good job. I'm like, ooh, I got tricked. And then when Black Lives Matter uh, resurged again, which it should never not be here, 
the commercials were like, we love black people. And it's like, okay, yeah, but like, I feel like, yeah, it feels fake. Feels fake. Just weird. And now it's just, I don't know. Commercials. I'm obsessed with commercials. I find them so fascinating. I really enjoy watching them because to me, they are a commentary about the shittier sides of us. Because advertising is just manipulation. (laughs) Watch, cut to an ad right now. (laughs) We got to make money somehow, though. So we do have to make money. So ads have to exist. But I'm telling you, man, if you're an ad agency, hire comedians. Okay? Hire comedians. We know how to get a point across. Unless you're me and you hate all your material. Okay, so here's something that I was like, I don't know if I should talk about this. Because I don't want to jinx it. But actually, I want to talk about it. Uh, I'm reading. uh, I was given this book, Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Smoking. Cigarettes, not weed. (laughs) I'm not not nuts. Uh, Smoking cigarettes. And I, I read a portion of it a couple years ago and then I stopped reading it. Apparently a lot of people have done that because Alan Carr is like so many people I know, like my personal friends who smoke, fucking only read a chapter and then they stopped. Well, they didn't really want to stop smoking then. And neither did I. Because then I I quit smoking when I turned 30 and then I broke up with my ex and I was like, well, I need cigarettes. But the thing is, if you really quit, the moments where you would want a cigarette bad are the moments where you go no instead of going oh poor me i'm sad i'm sad i'm gonna get a cigarette but y'all so i'm I'm about halfway through this book and i'm gone every night i listen to i listen to the audiobook the guy who narrates it is a british guy and he's just so goddamn sassy and i like it like yeah daddy tell me i'm doing it wrong what i've gathered from this book so far is we've been tricked We've been tricked. A guy um, mailed me this book. So I have two copies of it. And it meant a lot to me that he mailed it to me. because, And he said in the note, um, you know, I quit a couple years ago. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And that that made me go, okay, I need to revisit this book. And then a couple months went by and I was like, nah, nah. And then for whatever reason... Two days ago, I was like, I'm going to fucking listen to this book because I know a lot of people that have read this book and have stopped smoking. People that were pack a day. And I used to think, I used to love being like, oh my God, a pack a day? Two packs a day? I would never do that because that's not how much I smoke. I'd fucking pass out if I smoked that many cigarettes in a day. I smoke like a pack every three days, four days. That's not good. But I I feel I get on my high and mighty ass fucking pedestal to go, well, I don't do that. But bitch, shut the fuck up. You're being a dumb bitch. But we've all been tricked, but that doesn't mean we're stupid. And I'm like, well, that's good because, boy, I anything, anyone telling me that I'm not stupid, I really do appreciate. Because those voices in my head, they can be real cunts sometimes. But also he pointed out, one of the things he pointed out was that chewing gum is a trick. We don't need to chew gum. It's just a way, an acceptable way to grind your teeth. And I'm like, well, shit, when you put it that way. And the other thing about this book is he he says, continue smoking while reading it. Don't stop smoking until you finish the book. And I was like, well, that sounds like a good rule. Okay, if I must keep smoking, I will. But there's, and this is, you know... 
for the smokers out there. I'm sure there's some. I got to say, the tobacco companies, they've paid a lot of money to put cigarettes in movies. And poof, that shit works. Carrie Bradshaw on Sex and the City, the lead character on Sex and the City, smoked a lot. And I was like, that's like me. I'm like Carrie Bradshaw. And then I grew up, moved to New York, started a sex podcast, got huge, wrote a book with my comedy partner about sex. And I would sit in my apartment with the window open, smoking a cigarette while writing my book. And I'm like, God damn it, girl, you're Carrie Bradshaw. Well, shit, manifest destiny, motherfucker. And I was like, I'm special. But it's getting to the point where I don't want to smoke anymore. I want to want to quit. I do want to quit. But this particular section of this book made me go, get out of town. It's from chapter poop. It's from chapter 14. What am I giving up? And he keeps saying, nothing. (laughs) Uh, Not only is life better as a non-smoker, this guy, also the author fucking chain smoked a lot for like 30 years. So he, you know, because the last person I want to take fucking advice from is a goddamn non-smoker. You know it's bad for you. Is it bad for me? Oh, I didn't know. Thanks for telling me that. I fucking hate when a guy, this doesn't happen often, but it's maybe happened five times in the last, you know, seven years. So not that often. But a guy, it's always a guy, will say, you're too pretty to smoke. Like, passing comment when he walks by. Or like, you know that's bad for you. And I'm like, is it bad for me? Oh, I didn't know. And it makes me want to fucking smoke a pack in front of his face. And I'm like, well, that's not winning. Because you're just damaging your body. And inhaling the cancer. So, you can't really get revenge on him by smoking more. Oh, and the other thing that made me smoke more? And this is some shit. Uh, ex-boyfriend I remember when we date when we first started dating I only smoked when I drank when I and I really did I'm not just saying that because <laughs> I said that for a while when I was smoking during the day I'm like well I guess I gotta stop saying that because I'm full of shit <laughs> but what uh he compared me to his ex-girlfriend which I should have known was a red flag well no I didn't know that was a red flag at the time because I was 20 fucking three okay and I do, I give myself a pass because my therapist tells me that your brain is not fully developed until you're at least 25. And I was like, well, I was a little slow then, wasn't I? So it's okay. Give myself a pass. You can't take, you can't change the past. Okay. You can only change how you think about it. But one of the things he said was, you know, it doesn't make, it's not, it's smoking's not a good look for you. Like it's not, it's, it was sexy when his ex smoked, but not when you do it. I'm like, oh. And I and I remember I was pissed at him to his face. At least I did. At least I was that. But it made me want to smoke more. And I'm like, I'll fucking show you sexy smoking. <laughs> oh, God. If 33-year-old me is so much better than 23-year-old me, that 33-year-old me wants to go back to all of these moments in my 23rd year of life and just punch people in the fucking face. God damn. Because, like, I got mad. A lot of this stuff, like, that my ex did or whatever. Like, I got mad in the moment. And I'm like, uh, what the fuck? But then I just was like, whatever. It's fine. And then 33-year-old me would have come back and be like, it's not fucking fine. Let's punch someone. Violence is not the answer. But, boy, I would have had some choice words. 
Okay, not only is life better as a non-smoker, it is infinitely, infinitely more enjoyable. I do not only mean you will be a healthier and wealthier. I mean you will be happier and enjoy life far more. The incredible gains you achieve when you become a non-smoker are discussed in the next few chapters. Some smokers find it difficult to understand the concept of the void I mention. And the following analogy may assist you. And this analogy, goddamn, it assisted me. Imagine you have a cold sore on your face. Ooh, cute. It happens. I've got this marvelous ointment. I say to you, try this stuff. You rub the ointment on and the sore disappears immediately. A week later, it reappears. You ask, do you have any more of that ointment? I say, keep the tube. You might need it again. You apply the ointment. Presto, the sore disappears again. Every time the sore returns... It gets larger and more painful, and the period of remission gets shorter and shorter. Eventually, the sore covers your whole face and is excruciatingly painful. It is now returning every half hour. You know that the ointment will remove it temporarily, but you are very worried. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be worried too. Will the sore eventually spread all over your whole body? Will the periods of remission disappear completely? You go to your doctor. He can't cure it. By now, you are completely dependent on the ointment. You never go without it, ensuring that you have a tube with you. If you go abroad, you make sure that you take several tubes with you. Now, in addition to the worries about your health, I'm charging you $100 per tube. You have no choice but to pay me. Then you read in a newspaper that this isn't just happening to you. Many other people have been suffering from the same problem. In fact, researchers have discovered that the ointment doesn't actually cure the sore. All it does is temporary, temporarily push the sore beneath the surface of the skin. Far from curing the cold sore, it is the ointment that has caused it to grow. All you have to do to get rid of the sore is to stop using the ointment. The sore will disappear in due course. Would you continue to use the ointment? No. I mean, that's me. Would, uh, would it take willpower not to use the ointment? Me again. Nope. If you didn't believe the article you had read in the newspaper, there might be a few days of apprehension. But once you realize that the sore was getting better, the need or desire to use the ointment would go. Would you be miserable? Of course you wouldn't. You had an awful problem, which you thought was insoluble. Now you found the solution. Even if it took a while for that sore to disappear completely, each day as it improved, you'd think, isn't this marvelous? I'm not going to die this terrible death. This was the magic that happened to me when I put out my final cigarette. Let me make one point quite clear in the analogy of the sore and the ointment. The sore isn't lung cancer, uh, emphysema, some other word that I can't pronounce, bronchitis, angina, asthma, or coronary disease, heart disease. These are also caused by the ointment, but in addition to the sore, it isn't the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we burn or the lifetime of bad breath. All right, that's rude. And stained teeth. Okay, cool. And lethargy and wheezing and coughing. As if you were a French bulldog? Yeah, as if you were a French bulldog. It isn't the lifetime of being despised by a society that seemed happy for you to get hooked in on the first place or the lifetime of despising yourself, which is true. You kind of do despise yourself when you spoke because you're like, I guess I'm just a loser and I'll smoke. There are, these are all in addition to the sore. The sore is the fear that makes us shut our mind to these things created by that barely noticeable, slightly empty, insecure feeling that says, I want a cigarette. 
non-smokers don't suffer from this fear. And one of the sweetest things about breaking free from the slavery of smoking, which that's a strong word, is to no longer have your life dominated by fear. It was as if a great mist had suddenly lifted from my mind. I could so clearly, I uh, could see so clearly that the panic feeling of wanting a cigarette wasn't the, some sort of weakness in me. Oh, that's good. I'm not weak. No. Okay, thanks. Or some magical quality in the cigarette. Withdrawing from the first cigarette caused that slightly panicky feeling, and with each subsequent one, far from relieving the feeling, it was keeping it alive. At the same time, I could see all these other happy smokers were going through the same nightmare I was. For the first time in my smoking life, my fear of quitting was replaced by a feeling of excitement about how wonderful it would be to break free. Break free. Oh, uh, press the fart buttons. Break free, motherfuckers. Break free. Break free. So, yeah. I'm like, shit, dude. Alan Carr. And he's got all these programs that you can join to stop smoking. But he said, he's like, I guarantee, he's like 90% of the people who read this book stop easily and with delight. And then he says he has these, like, I guess, sessions that he does with people. And he makes people stop smoking in like three hours. And I'm like, wait, what? That's exciting. But I'm only halfway through the book. So I'm still smoking. But I'll stop. All right. I want to end on this. I want to end. I love I, I got a lot of good feedback from the story that I read um, last week by this lady. What's her name, Christina? I'm looking. Hold on. The fuck, Joanna? She's got a husband. Good for you. Joanna Gaines. This Magnolia Journal. It's really good. There's a great, great fucking story. A little highlight interview or like a, I guess they they contacted this artist and they're like hey you want a couple pages in this magazine and he was like okay um, his name's Brad um, Brad Montague acclaimed illustrator Brad Montague reflects on his lifelong pursuit to inspire empathy and imagination in kids and former kids I've shown up to my desk again he's a an animator by the way he does like cartoons and stuff I've shown up to my desk again it's ch- a cheap wobbly old thing I've been meaning to get a new one, but that just add more to the to-do list. I feel you, Brad. The list is already full enough, and besides, this desk gets the job done. Over the years, it has provided me a space for me to show up and do my work. Maybe the Toy Story films are to blame for the deep sympathy I have for inanimate objects, but I do feel that just as I need the desk, the desk needs me. And so today, like all the days before, amid scattered pencils, loose papers and occasional toys left by one of our small children, I return to my desk. Some days, I show up full of ideas, practically glowing. I put pencil to paper. I draw. I edit videos. There have been days when the work I created from this desk found its way to millions of people. There have been days when the work found its way directly into the trash. On those days, and there have been many, I showed up to the desk, but the ideas did not. On those days, I sometimes wondered why I had shown up at all. Ooh, I feel you, Brad. Growing up on a farm, I got an up-close look at hard work. While the rest of my friends held breezy jobs in public places around town where they could impress girls and get people into movies for free, my summers and school day afternoons were spent in the fields, cultivating, sowing, irrigating, and eventually reaping. This work energized my dad, but at the end of the long day in the field, I could not have been happier to be home. Covered in dirt, 
grease, cuts, and bruises. I only found happiness in the fact that we were done. My father, on the other hand, was already excitedly planning the next day. Time and again, I would wonder, does he ever rest? I couldn't wrap my mind around the fuel that kept him going. The demands of a farm are very different from those of a writer and illustrator. Long stretches of chair sitting are no match for the physical labor my father has endured through the years. But the things I have wondered about each of us are the same. Why does he keep showing up to those fields? Why do I keep showing up to my desk? Not long ago, I was speaking with Frances Hesselbein. She'd been the CEO of the Girl Scouts for many years, written several books, coached leaders, and led humanitarian efforts. Oh, and she'd also just turned 103. Eager to gain insight into how she'd lived such a long and fruitful life, I asked her the secret. Without hesitation, she answered, to serve is to live. Not long after, I asked an older gentleman the same question. His response was similar. To love well is to live well. That answer just made sense. Love. The more I've spent time doing work I love, the more I've been able to understand my father's excitement for helping plants grow. He's in service to the land. I imagine at some point early in his week, he witnessed the magic of a crop rising out of the ground. He'd nurtured life, and in turn, it gave him life. Basking in the harvest, I can understand how he could get hooked. I've shown up to my desk again. An email has come through from a teacher. She spends her days helping young people with speech and language issues. Today, she's written to tell me that a story I'd written about birds has helped one of her more challenging students find his voice. Quote, it's why I do the work I do, she wrote. I read those words and I sat in profound gratitude. She reminded me why I do what I do. Perhaps there's part of how we serve. We remind each other. That's part of how we serve. We remind each other. We show up in our fields, at our wobbly desks, or to our classrooms and send out reminders. This is what love looks like. Hey, look at what is growing. Then your wholehearted work provides a gust of encouragement to others as they embark on their wholehearted work. I have shown up at my desk again, but even here, I will be doing the work of the farm, planting seeds, cultivating goodness, then, thanks to the service of others, watching it all bloom. Wasn't that a nice way to end it, huh? Guys, break free from the cigarettes. Break free from the fear. Show up at your wobbly desk or in your truck or in your butt or wherever you go to do your work. I love you all, and I'll talk to you next Wednesday.